Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is my opinion, and I'm going to seek my approval. Do I approve of me? Love doesn't have any expectations. It doesn't seek something in return. It gives because it wants to. At our core, all of us have these feelings of being unlovable and inadequate. And until we start to care for those parts of ourselves, we can't really have the outer successes that we long for. There's money by you, intuition, insight, creativity, higher vision, transcendence, no. Money does buy you pleasure, and pleasure is good, but it's not enough. We need fulfillment. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a show to help you pause, relax, reflect, and be curious. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author and entrepreneur exploring the human experience. I interview world-leading thinkers, shaping ideas around the mind, health, spirituality, philosophy, and culture. I'm often reminded that thoughts become things, so we need to choose the good ones. I hope this show helps you to do that too. On today's Unwind, we have one of my newest favorite people to follow on Instagram. My guest today is Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a hormone expert, nutrition scientist, and global thought leader in women's medicine. She's a board certified in naturopathic endocrinology and trained in clinical sexology. Dr. Brighton is the author of Is This Normal? A non-judgmental guide to creating hormone balance, eliminating unwanted symptoms, and building the sexual desire you crave. Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones through her website and social media channels, and I'll be putting links to all of that in the show notes. When I was reading Dr. Brighton's book, my list of questions grew and grew and grew. And I think this is such a sign of the fact that we know so little about our health and we know so little about our hormonal health because I think that we've misdiagnosed ourselves. Dr. Google is so inadequate when it comes to these subjects. And so it was so deeply refreshing and educational and inspiring to stumble upon Dr. Brighton's work. And I'm just so grateful for this book that she's written and the work that she does. And also she makes this information fun, which I think is difficult to do and she does it. What's a piece of writing you return to often or a piece of writing that resonates with you currently? Yes. Well, I'm going to pull something out of my book. The introduction, because I know most people skip that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what's not normal? Feeling like you're riding an uncontrollable roller coaster of emotions leading up to your period. Being dependent on pain meds just to survive those few days of cramps. Or fearing pooping yourself or bleeding through your clothes every single month. As important as it is to know what's normal, it's equally important to know the things we've not been accepting as normal that aren't. The, quote, lady part problems that women have been discouraged from talking about but are in fact treatable and manageable symptoms of hormone imbalance. Here's one of the biggest takeaways of this entire book. Putting up with PMS, mood swings, cramping, pain with sex, disinterest in sex, or other female problems 
is not what you have to do if you happen to be born with ovaries. And any doctor who tries to tell you otherwise is plain wrong. Write that down. So powerful. And I can testify that the rest of the book is such a practical manual and also understanding of why this doesn't need to be the case. And yet it is for just so many millions of women. What shocks you most about what is not known about hormones and women's health? What has shocked me most on the internet is the number of people who don't understand that their egg is only available to be fertilized one day out of the month. Mm. And that is the only time that they can fall pregnant. And that people don't understand just the basics of how the menstrual cycle works. And I have to say, like, it's shocking. And yet I was that person too. I was that person, you know, 20 plus years ago, but yet it still persists. And and that I think is what really takes me back is that in my lifetime, I haven't seen this education improve in such a way where everybody has the body literacy that they truly should have because they've been taught it, not because they just, you know, have have just absorbed it from, you know, the, the sky or whatever, but you have to be taught this and we haven't seen those changes. What I thought was fascinating and shocking is when you're writing about that even medical students aren't taught this. This doesn't even come into physician training in the States or GP training to the extent it should in the UK either. Oh, yes. When you talk about sexual health, it's really, I mean, the United States, and I don't think the UK is that different from the United States in terms of sex education. Of course, you would be more of an expert there. You can tell me, but it's very fear-based. It's let's talk about STIs. Let's talk about the threat of pregnancy. And it's also very male-centered, like, right? What is sex? Like the vagina exists for the penis, right? And so it's that way in medical school training. And rightly so, we need to know how to look out for STIs and pelvic inflammatory disease and work that up and have all of that testing. And at the same time though, There is no concept of like pleasure Mm -hmm. and that sex should feel good and there shouldn't be pain. A lot of clinicians will say things like, just use some lube and have a glass of wine and you'll be fine. And then you've got physical therapists who I think are like such a champion of women's medicine and really unsung heroes coming in saying, no, that's a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction. Like something else is going on. And then we've got the endometriosis community coming in saying, actually, that's how I knew something was wrong to begin with. And my doctor told me like, oh, it's no big deal because in women's medicine, pleasure is something that's seen as secondary. It's like a bonus if you get to have an orgasm, but it's not necessary for us to be having this pleasure. I found it really interesting the way that you explained that monitoring your sexual desire, your libido, actually can be such an indicator for overall health. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Because in all the chapters, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I, I didn't even assume it was a biological marker. Yeah. So libido is a big meaty chapter to get into for sure. I think we we had to keep cutting that chapter back too because it started out so big because it's so nuanced and there's so many details that go into it. So as I say in the book, your baseline is what we care about. If your libido is dropping, you have no interest in sex. Like This could tell us that maybe estrogen's low, testosterone's low, maybe cortisol is high. So we've got an imbalance of these stress hormones, but it also can be other things like, did you start a new medication? Is something going on in your relationship? Are there emotional traumas or events that you haven't processed that are maybe resurfacing? And so understanding that your desire for sex isn't just about 
desire for sex. Mm. It's about the ability for your body to go to a place where it needs to feel safety and security. And if the environment in any way is signaling that things are not safe, the body will say, anything that could result in a baby, we're not going to do that. We are going to choose survival over reproduction. And by the way, whether or not you want to have a baby, your biology doesn't care. This is just how it works. And so with that, your body is going to choose your survival over procreation. And so what is the way that we get pregnant? Well, we have sex. So let's shut down any inclination or desire for that. So I do talk at length in the book about if your libido has changed, it's dropped off, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel like you're normal, here's the things you should be evaluating because it very well may be that there's something in your health that isn't right. You may be developing an autoimmune disease and you're getting fatigued and you're like, but the thing you're noticing is your partner is like, why are you never in the mood? And you're like, huh, yeah, that's just one more symptom which is important to understand. It's not just something's wrong with you. It's one more symptom that your provider should be taking seriously. And this, I guess, brings me onto a more general question, which is what suggests you are hormonally disrupted? Okay. So there is a huge quiz in the book, which I'm sure you saw. So the book is divided in your sexual self, which is the first section, and then it's your cyclical self. And then we start off the cyclical self with a quiz That quiz is taking you through estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, thyroid, insulin to help you understand where your imbalances lie. And then we take you into the 28-day program, which is the third section of the book, to marry that, like what's happening in your sex life, what's happening in your hormone life, and how do we bring all of this together so that you do feel complete. So some of the common things that are signs of a hormone imbalance are feeling really fatigued, like you sleep and you still can't get out of bed, or eating and finding that you get really fatigued after eating. So fatigue is something that in this modern world, a lot of doctors are like, everyone's tired. It's no big deal. Mm. Like it is. Why is everybody tired? This is a problem. We should be asking this. So fatigue is one piece. Another thing that we see is skin and hair changes. Often told, oh, you're just getting older, but if you're losing your hair, your skin is becoming more, it's aging much more rapidly than you think it should be, more fine lines and wrinkles. You know, we've got a whole beauty industry being like, cover that up, and you might want to do that. That's fine, but that might be a sign your estrogen is low, that your cortisol has been too high. And we see other symptoms like sleep disturbance and then the whole gamut of period problems, right? Periods come too quickly. Periods take forever to show up. Periods are really, really long and heavy. Uh, Before your period, you feel you're losing your mind. You're on that roller coaster of emotion. So all of these things can point to hormone imbalances, and it might feel like a whole lot, and it is, but that's why I help you really dial in what's going on for you in the book. I know this is a big question because obviously there's so much to say about each hormone, but I think it would be really useful practice maybe to go over the main hormone categories and what they do and why they'd be out of balance. Mm -hmm. You ready for me to talk for a while? I'm ready. We're ready. (laughs) So I have a pyramid in the book that I show. And at the foundation of the pyramid is your hormonal health. That is going to be your adrenal glands, which are producing cortisol, aldosterone, epinephrine, norepinephrine, DHEA. 
And then you have your insulin. The pancreas is going to produce insulin. And so those are really the foundation of your hormonal health because if either one of those systems is out of whack, is like being stressed, the other ones are definitely going to have issues as well. Right above that is your thyroid hormone, and at the very tippy top are your ovarian hormones. That's where the sex hormones are. Those ovarian hormones that cause those cyclical problems, and we all want to focus there. I have in the book a cycle symptom relief chart that can help you focus on getting those symptoms managed in the short term while you work on the long-term strategies of healing that foundation of your hormones. So when when cortisol is off, for example, that's our you know top adrenal hormone that we look at. That's a stress hormone. It's a very good thing until it's not a good thing. So when it's too high, we can find that we feel really anxious. We're having dysregulation of our blood sugar. Maybe we're waking up with headaches. We're noticing that aging of our skin and we're having belly fat. Those can definitely show up. Now, the tricky thing about cortisol is that the imbalance can happen in a way that makes you think you have both high and low cortisol. So what that can look like is you wake up in the morning and you have no energy. But when you go to bed at night, your brain is buzzing. Mm -hmm. Your body's tired, but your mind is wired. And what that is, is what I call a reverse cortisol curve. That is when instead of spiking cortisol in the morning the way you should be, that cortisol is is coming up at night. And so now you're like, I'm having racing thoughts and I, I, you know, I have to get on social media and scroll or, you know, you just feel really panicked. And so I talk about in the book the symptoms of low cortisol, but to understand it is very rarely actually low cortisol going on in your body. Low cortisol tends to happen in autoimmune condition called Addison's disease where you actually destroy your adrenal glands. That's what the most common time we actually see low cortisol. Otherwise, what is actually going on is your body has shifted after prolonged exposure to high cortisol. We get HPA dysregulation brain and adrenals, they're not communicating as they should be. Receptors on the cells, they downregulate. They're like, we can't hear this cortisol. If that cortisol docks on, it causes cellular aging. So you're rapidly aging at the cellular level. That's dangerous for your organs. So this is all an adaptation so that your body stays protected. Now, as all of this is going on, we'll see there's spikes and drops in your blood sugar. That's certainly going to affect insulin. A lot of times people are like, oh, insulin. Okay, so just don't eat sugary foods. Okay, yes, let's like reduce refined carbohydrates. Let's increase our fiber. But let's also increase our muscle mass and recognize that if your adrenals are not right, it's going to be very hard to get your blood sugar right because they're very much related, which is why they're at the base of the pyramid. So right above that is our thyroid hormone. So if anyone has ever had thyroid issues and they're like, they get treated with medication, they're like, why are things not getting better? Again, that foundation has to be right because everything that's happening with cortisol and insulin can be affecting your immune system. Mm. The top reason that women get autoimmune, uh, or excuse me, that get hypothyroidism is autoimmune disease. So we have to be absolutely looking at that piece. So with thyroid disease, there's a rare condition called Graves' disease, which causes hyperthyroidism way too much. So you can just think like, you know, this is everything sped up, except you can also be fatigued, but you can be shaky. You can have heart palpitations, racing heart, uh, feel really anxious, have trouble sleeping. You're gritting your teeth all the time. That can happen with hyperthyroidism. And I talk about in the book, it's out of the scope of the book because that is a 
autoimmune condition that has to be treated with an endocrinologist. Like you need to get medication. They may recommend surgery. I would say you don't necessarily need surgery. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do to reverse autoimmunity. But what is way more common is hypothyroidism. That is where you have too little thyroid hormone. That is where you can't poop. You might be infertile. You're having repeat miscarriages. Your menstrual cycle has been thrown off. You find that you're losing hair. Your skin is super dry. Maybe your voice is becoming deeper, more gravelly. You're experiencing heartburn. Like what I'm demonstrating here is system-wide symptoms because every single system in your body, those cells have receptors for thyroid hormone. And so thyroid disease can show up in every system of the body and it can just pick like one or two. It can be just a couple of ways that it's showing up like, oh, fatigue and weight gain. Or it might be that like, oh, it's the really dry skin and I'm losing that my hair and my gut symptoms are off kind of situation. So I just talked through like a whole lot of hormones. We still have the sex hormones to cover, but I just want to pause and see if you have any questions. Yes. So many questions. And just firstly, <laughs> thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing this explanation. I guess to start with the adrenals and those being out of balance, is the main reasons for that, modern day lifestyle, stress, what are the main reasons why our adrenals start to get out of rhythm? I love this question. This is an excellent question because when people think stress, they think, oh, how is my job? Yes. How is my relationship? How is my commute? And they don't think about the way that we live is stressful in our environment. It's inherently stressful. There's a huge mismatch by how slow we evolve and how quickly technology and the world around us has evolved. So we have an evolutionary mismatch. And I think that's important for people to understand because it's not a you issue and it's not a dysfunction. It is adaptations. And a lot of times we're just trying to adapt to this modern world. So things like just light exposure, the mm. fact that we're inundated with light, like we've got street lamps and we've got lights in our house, these can disrupt our circadian rhythm. So the light dark cycle is very much in tune with all of our cells in our body, but also those ovarian hormones, they're going to be in tune with that as well. And so circadian rhythm disruptions can be a stressor. You know, something that doesn't get talked about, I think, in women's medicine is just the way we have to patrol our environment from predators. And this is going to one, trigger warning, because I am going to talk about being assaulted. But secondly, some people like to believe that in this modern world, like we are, we are safe. The modern predator is our male counterparts. And if you have ever had to have your keys in your knuckles ready to go to walk to the car in the parking lot at night because you don't feel safe or, you know, feeling like you, you can only go running with one earbud in because you have to be constantly listening and surveying your environment. There's all of these things that we're told as women that we need to be doing to stay safe that are complete stressors. Every time you leave your house, you have to be on patrol for a predator. Well, back in the day, that used to be a lion or tiger or, you know, bear or, you know, I always want to say, oh my, after that, but like it's a predator, like a, something that will eat you, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to think that in those times where things were dangerous, our body would shift and make these stress hormones and downregulate these ovarian hormones so that we're not cycling regularly. 
we have to keep that in mind. This is a modern stressor. And so if you are somebody who feels like these things, if this resonates with you and you're like, these do stress me out, I just want to like honor that because I just don't feel like we talk about that extra stressor that women have that are unique to women. Then we've got things like, how often are you eating? So if we we think about like, body doesn't want famine. If you are doing this, you know, move more, eat less approach that a lot of doctors prescribe, that's a stressor to the body as well. You know, even skipping meals, not processing your emotions. So a lot of times, you know, we get hit with stuff in different ways and we're like, I can't deal with that right now. Like I'm a mom. There's times where I'm like, oh, like I feel so stressed, but like I've got to make dinner and be with my kids right now and go into bedtime routine. You have to come back to that stuff. Mm -hmm. You have to process it because those kinds of stressors get stored in the body. And so I hope this just illustrates that there's a lot of different ways that stress can show up. I go through this in my book. And what we focus on is the stuff you can control. Yes. I'm raising two boys. So I'm working for future generations to really have more males who are protecting females Mm -hmm. and who are really showing up in making social contracts of really like, let's, let's tend to the future of this human race. And yet at the same time, there's a lot of different things that can exist in this world that give us the signal that we are under threat and that we don't even realize because this is just the way it is. And it's all we've ever known. What would you say your two top tips are for people to start to support their adrenal balance on a day-to-day basis? You know, two easy things that you can do right away is first thing in the morning, expose yourself to sunlight. Mm -hmm. So open up your curtains, whether or not you see the actual sun doesn't matter. The UV rays are there. So getting yourself like 10 to 15 minutes of sunlight, that's going to help you degrade your melatonin the way you should. So bring melatonin down jump your cortisol up the way it should first thing in the morning. And that can really set your energy right throughout the day. The other thing that I would say, which this applies to like all hormones, and it's going to help with your insulin as well, is making sure you're getting fat, fiber, and protein at every single meal. And especially as women, I mean, men do really need to tend to their protein as well, but because we become at higher risk of osteoporosis and we have lower body mass and muscle mass as it is, we really need to tend to that protein component. So making, and what does this look like? I talk about in the book, like this looks like half of your plate becomes vegetables. You split the plate in half again, a quarter of that is your protein. And then the other quarter is going to be your carbohydrates with about two tablespoons of fat. And that's how we want to be having our meals so that they are balanced Mm. for not just like not just the 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 hormone component but also your microbiome for the nutrient density that you need for the antioxidant production for your cells the diet industry has so much to answer for in terms oh, of being yes. one of the greatest enemies for hormone disruption and causing yeah. such necessary stress on top of everything else that people are handling um it's phenomenal and your book really highlights that now moving to some questions about the thyroid, uh, because I am deeply curious about all things health and wellness. And yet the thyroid, I only really became that aware of maybe a year ago. And that is shocking. So it's this quite underdiscussed, huge player in our hormonal yeah. and health system and affecting our mental health. What are the sort of things that are a thyroid's enemy in causing a really sluggish thyroid, for example? 
Yes. Well, stress, as we talked about, definitely a thyroid enemy. Endocrine disruptors, they're called endocrine disruptors. They're hormone disruptors, about for all of our hormones. So, I mean, there's not one that I'm like, that's better than the others. They're all horrible. Can we get rid of them all? Uh, flame retardants. Flame retardants are one. Uh, I don't know how it is in the UK, in the United States. Like you had to like bootleg black market, get a mattress to avoid flame retardants, which was never for our safety. It was the chemical industry. And it's just about money. Like welcome to capitalism. It's just about money. And what was discovered decades before it was ever acknowledged in humans is that these flame retardants were causing autoimmune thyroid conditions in our pets. These are literal canaries in our house. Okay. And if people don't know the analogy, the canary in the coal mine, they'd send the canary in. If the canary did not come back, that place was toxic. Your pets are spending the most time on the floor. They are the smallest organisms in the house next to babies. So keep that one in mind. Mm -hmm. Cats were developing, they are still developing hyperthyroidism and dogs developing hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the same thing that we see in humans. So flame retardants, highly, highly problematic. Bromine in your bread, ugh. I don't think they do that in the UK. They do it in the US. If there if there's trash to be put in food, they do it here. And I have a food science nutrition background and I will say the food industry they're out there to make money and make you addicted. They're not out there to make sure that you're nourished. So with that, iodine is a halogen, bromine is a halogen. If they put bromine in your in your bread, that can compete with iodine for your thyroid. So we've got these environmental toxins that impact our thyroid. We've got stress that impacts our thyroid. And then there is just not eating a nutrient-dense diet, things that go overlooked. Uh, so everybody thinks about iodine. Worry less about iodine if you're in a developed nation. Like you're, It's very rare you're actually iodine deficient. Yeah. Selenium, more of an issue. Iron, if you're menstruating. Mm. And in you have really heavy periods, your doctor's not checking that. Without iron, you're not making adequate thyroid hormone. Vitamin D. So you're in London. You are about uh, the same point in the world as Portland, Oregon. And uh, that's where I used to live. Yeah. You're high enough on the equator that vitamin D deficiency is more of a concern yes. there. And so without vitamin D and vitamin A, they're besties that got to go together, we're not really making that thyroid hormone and activating it and getting it to the cellular level. So with thyroid hormone, it's not just about making it. You also have to convert it. So let me back this up for people who don't know, because you're like, I just learned about this a year ago. So let's let's do some thyroid 101. Okay. Thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland, sits at the front of your neck. It produces mostly T4, a little bit of T1, T2, and T3, but mostly T4. That's not active. That's also what your doctor gives you by way of levothyroxine or Synthroid. There's probably another name in the UK, uh, but these are all T4s. T4 has to get converted into T3. That's our active thyroid hormone. That is responsible for our mood, so not feeling depressed or anxious, our menstrual cycle being regular, helping with egg maturation. It's also involved in gut motility. So all of these things that I talked about were hypothyroid symptoms. Like that is what your thyroid is doing. It's helping your metabolism. Like it is doing so many things. Major conversion sites, so it's going to be converted outside of the thyroid, so other places in the body, which is why... Everything in your body needs your thyroid to be healthy and your thyroid needs your body to be healthy. So it makes active thyroid hormone. Your gut, your kidneys, your liver, these are major conversion sites that take T4 into T3. We see a lot of people struggling with gut issues. So if your gut's not right, 
as one example, and let's say you've got something in there like dysbiosis, imbalance of little critters that should be in there, and you've got inflammation going in the gut. Now we've got an issue with thyroid, but we've also got an issue with cortisol trying to dampen that inflammation. So, And then when it comes to the autoimmune component, that's where we're looking at the TPO, thyroglobulin antibodies, and that is where you actually destroy your own thyroid gland. In Graves' disease hyperthyroidism that I talked about, you dock onto the receptors of the thyroid with an antibody and you stimulate it to make thyroid hormone. In Hashimoto's, you actually destroy the gland and if enough destruction happens, you need medication, you need hormone replacement therapy, and it is a non-negotiable. I mean, a lot of people are like, I don't want to take a medication. I'm like, well, neither do diabetics who Mm -hmm. can't make insulin, but they have to. Otherwise, you die. With diabetes, you die really quickly. With Hashibotos, you die slowly and you get really awful cardiovascular issues that happen, but you also don't have a quality life. And I, for one, believe everybody should be living in full vital capacity. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Would you agree with the statement that often people who diagnose themselves with mental health problems may be more accurately experiencing hormonal problems instead, and actually their mental health would be good if they balanced their hormones? You absolutely cannot heal a mental health condition if you have not looked at what is going on with the hormones and addressed any kind of issue there. So your primary care provider in the United States, you go in, you're feeling sad, they're like, here's an SSRI. You're like, oh, and I'm also anxious. And they're, and then like, they don't have a problem just passing you cocktails of meds. And then when it's not working, maybe you get a referral. In the United States, psychiatrists are more apt to say, we should check your thyroid. Mm-hmm. We should check your thyroid with this because that is a really key player. And certainly if you start a medication and things don't get better, they're going to check your thyroid. But absolutely, we should be looking to the hormonal component It's very interesting to me how there's a lot of acknowledgement that we've got receptors in the brain for these hormones and these hormones can cause PMS and they can cause PMDD issues. But when it comes to, well, I'm having these issues, can we address the hormones? There's very little talk about that. And a lot of the times it's because, you know, the birth control pill has made its way into our lives in a really positive way, but in some ways a really negative way, because if your doctor can just give you birth control... Why should they invest? Why should they give anything else? And they're not going, I mean, women's medicine 
doesn't have the research it needs, and it certainly doesn't get the attention it needs. And when you've got providers who are not trained in nutrition, who are not trained in lifestyle therapies, who don't have any of that training, you're not going to get a lot more solutions outside of that. They feel like in the last six years, there's been this mental health revolution. You know, six years ago, we really weren't talking about mental health in the way that we are now. But it almost feels that we should have had a hormone revolution before we had a mental health revolution. You know, how can someone focus on cognitive behavioral therapy or really deep, difficult mind work when Mm -hmm. inside they are a cocktail of complete imbalance and their biology is working against them? Yes. Okay. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is not perfect, but it is a perfect way to illustrate. We're asking people to do this higher level work when they don't have the basic safety, security, and needs met of their body. Asking somebody to heal their emotional self, like the emotional body is the last thing to heal in my experience, because physically you've got to have the resiliency You've got to be feeling well in your body. Like if you are somebody who is struggling with like endometriosis and you're like, I am in pain two weeks out of every month. And we're like, you know, okay, but like, let's go back and let's like heal all this stuff and like deal with your depression. It's like, I don't even have the energy to cook for myself. I don't even have the energy. I can't even sleep. Like if you can't meet those basic needs, it's very, very hard to do. And When you look at what are we doing when we address mental health, we're doing a lot of work that's happening. It's happening throughout the body. I think that often people are like, it's just in your head. Um, It is throughout your body. Like your nerves are throughout your body. The chemical messengers that are your hormones, the neurotransmitters, like they're sending signals. There's a whole communication system happening. When we do look at the brain, we're looking at neuroplasticity. We're looking at building new highways and pathways of thinking, of being, of trying to reshape the brain, you require hormones to do that. Mm. Hormones are really important. So the thing is, is that people will go in and say, so for example, you're perimenopause or postmenopausal. In the United States, you're you're in the category where once you enter into perimenopause, you're you're becoming double the rate of the use of SSRIs. So that means that, you know, compared to somebody 20 years younger than you, you're more likely going to be on this med. So uh, we see that the rate of medication use in this population doubles. What goes along with uh, serotonin and why do we use SSRIs? We want to get serotonin and there's this whole idea that like you need serotonin in the brain. And I say there's this whole idea because the research on the cytokine theory of depression is has a lot more water <laughs> in its bucket than serotonin. But however, if you subscribe to this idea that serotonin makes you happy and you need serotonin, and that, and it's a deficiency of serotonin that leaves you depressed. Well, serotonin rises with estrogen. Estrogen's necessary in the production of serotonin. So are you know, different nutrients in the body as well to produce these neurotransmitters. So why are we not talking about the fact that what's happening in ter- late perimenopause and menopause is that your estrogen levels are declining. That's affecting your mental emotional state. But instead we go in and we're like, you should fix your brain and you should fix your mood. Well, that's very hard to do mm. when your body is sending up all these little flares of like problem is like alert, please help me. This then leads me to the top of your pyramid, the ovary hormones, the sex hormones, because I think probably the least known hormone is anti-malarian hormone. That was something I've only very much recently came across. So I'd love for us to move on to that and some of the issues that people may be facing with those. Yes. So anti-malarian hormone or AMH, it's a relatively new test that we've been doing. It comes uh, from the ovaries and it is a 
used as a marker of egg reserve. Like how many of your fertile years do you have left? It's an estimate. I don't think that anybody should put too much weight into it because you can change it. Where we're seeing that it might actually have the most utility is in polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. And for a very long time, we thought, wow, you're seeing an AMH of like over four, that's suggestive of PCOS and that's because of PCOS. Well, now we're starting to understand it might be AMH that's involved in TCOS. So if people aren't aware, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which actually is a horrible name because polycystic ovaries are the least of the concern here. And those aren't really cysts, they're follicles that we, like a long time ago, they were like, oh, there's cysts in the ovaries, like tons of them. Those are follicles. Those are ovaries that are like, I really want to ovulate. I'm trying so hard, but they can't. So with PCOS, we don't totally know the cause of it. We haven't done enough research, but what we do understand is that insulin dysregulation causes the ovaries to produce more androgens, testosterone, dihydrotestosterone, uh, even DHEA are some of the things that we'll measure. And when we see the elevations in testosterone, we will see hair loss on the head, unwanted hair growth on the chin, chest, abdomen, so hirsutism. We will also see acne, oily skin, cystic acne, acne all over the body, that can happen. And we will also see problems with ovulation. And is the problems with ovulation that lead to problems with menstruation. If you ovulate irregularly, you menstruate irregularly. If you don't ovulate, you don't menstruate. And that's the way that funnel flows is that it's always ovulation first and menstruation second. Even though we have all been taught menstruation first is like how the menstrual cycle starts. Understand that's because it is the easiest way to teach it because the period's really obvious. So With PCOS, I just talked a little bit about testosterone. That is one of the ovarian hormones, and it is normal for you to make testosterone. Every body on the planet makes testosterone. We just have it in different amounts. Different amounts of it are free, and we're utilizing it differently for different characteristics in the body. The ovaries also produce estrogen and progesterone. And as I was talking about with ovulation, progesterone only comes after ovulation. So you have to ovulate to get to progesterone. And so when you understand like some of these basics, so right away we identified hyperandrogen symptoms, high testosterone symptoms, and pointed towards PCOS. But when you understand the basics of how a menstrual cycle works, you can start to understand where these imbalances show up and how they can present themselves so that you can start to address those yourself. Infertility is becoming an increasing problem. Mm. It is skyrocketing. Obviously, we are in a sperm crisis. I mean, sperm count has dropped 50% in the last 40 years. Yes, so much. But also, low ovarian reserve is becoming more common too. Why do you think that is and what do you think we can do about it? Well, okay. There's a lot of factors that affect us. Uh, So our weight, our um, smoking cigarettes, alcohol use, all of these things. I think every there's no surprise to anybody. I would encourage anybody who wants to deep dive on this Mm -hmm. to look into Shana Swan or Shanna Swan, I believe is how she says her name. She wrote a book about this. She's an epidemiologist, one of the lead researchers who came across like this data that so sperm count isn't just dropping in the U.S. It is dropping around the world. We are seeing this decline and is much easier to measure sperm and to really dial in like how many sperm do we have compared to the nuance that is the ovaries of like how many eggs like and how are we measuring that because AMH is relatively new. It's not 
we still have a lot that we have to learn about all of that. So what is different about sperm and eggs? Sperm is being made once you go through puberty and you just like, and it just keeps going, right? Eggs are made before you're even born. So you were in your mother's body and that is when your eggs were determined. What was your mother exposed to? Whatever she was exposed to impacted your eggs. But we go a layer up because the egg that became you was in your mother's body, your mother's ovaries, while she was in your grandmother's body. So this is a generational issue. And the thing that we have seen has continued to climb generation after generation is endocrine disruptors. And we understand, so as I talked about flame retardants uh, before, we've got research that needs to be replicated. We need stronger data to like be able to make a claim, but it causes oxidative stress in the ovaries. That messes with our ability to make our hormones. BPA, which we've all heard like BPA and and now we have BPA free. Don't trust it. It's just marketing. Bisphenols, like everybody got hip to BPA. Consumers were like, get it out of our plastics, get rid of BPA. Too late. It's already in the environment. Too late. It's still in your receipt paper. It's still showing up a lot of places. And so it's in a lot of ways too late for you to affect the environment outside of your home, outside of your choices, outside of yourself. So please do not focus there. Focus on the internal. However, BPA does cause oxidative stress in the ovaries as well. What am I saying is oxidative stress? Oxidative stress are free radicals. Free radicals are missing an electron and that makes them unstable. And an unstable molecule is going to seek out another electron so that it is stable and it's happy. Like, and, and it's not losing its little molecule mind. It hits your cellular wall and it pulls off the electron and you need antioxidants there to protect you against that free radical attack. Otherwise your cell now becomes unstable and it dies or it has genetic changes that you don't you don't want to happen. And so we've got the free radicals but we've also got the fact that these endocrine disruptors they look like your hormones and they do all the worst things, all the worst things. So they can block your own hormones from going onto the receptor, they can tell your body not to make your own hormones or they can actually disrupt your DNA and cause DNA damage. And so when we're talking about fertility, these egg and sperm cells are very, very susceptible. They're like the babies in the nursery of our body where we're like, oh, they're just so precious, like keep them safe. Because as it is right now, once your eggs are gone, they're gone. There is, um, so the countries that are, it's very interesting. This is definitely a bit political, but like I didn't choose to make women's medicine political. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't choose it. But we see the countries where, the population is declining Mm. and they're recruiting people. So like Italy has like a big recruitment right now for people to come there. We see Spain is like, man, they are just moving light years ahead in terms of reproductive technology. And, And we see a lot of countries like in the EU, for example, IVF is affordable. They're advancing their technology. They're making it accessible to people. They will help people with donor eggs. Like there's all of these things that they're doing to help people who want to have babies have babies. That's not happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. IVF is inaccessible. If you look at you know other countries that have better healthcare, I want to be really clear about this because so many people are like, it's because the US healthcare is so good. No, it's not. Do not say that. Mm-hmm. It is not. These other places, so if you take Spain, for example, has way more advanced uh, in terms of their IVF. Like they're doing a really good job, yeah. okay? 
really good healthcare, like one of the top five in the world. And um, their IVF is going to be like a third of what it is in the US. And if you need multiple rounds, there are people who are like $120,000 in debt just trying to have a baby. So IVF is inaccessible. The reproductive technology, I'm not saying it's bad here, but I'm just saying it's not dollar for dollar. Okay. It's not because like, it's so much better. So that was a little bit of like a tangent, but if people are not paying attention, I want them to start paying attention because what we really need to be doing is talking about the influence of environmental toxins, talking about how we take care of people on this planet, how we take care of the planet at large, if we want to solve this problem. Because as it is, there are lead researchers saying that we could be classified as endangered species at this point. That's where we're heading. That's where, you know, the trajectory of our fertility is heading. And I don't say that to scare people. I say that because we still have time to create a lot of change and we absolutely can. It links hand in hand with the conversation that you are so brilliantly bringing to way more people because it does stem from these hormonal imbalances. And if we've got no idea what they even are, we've got no idea to what to look out for. And then suddenly we're faced with these realities for some people who want to have children and suddenly can't. And it really stems from this lack of education that we didn't even mm-hmm. know that our bodies were out of balance. Yes. And this brings me to, you know, I, I know you spoke about belly fat, for example, the amount of yeah. women and men that think that it's because they've just eaten the wrong things. And actually it's nothing to do with what they've eaten, but it's to do with hormones. Yes. And that I think is such an important conversation. As I say in the book, like BMI is such a worthless measurement. It's yeah. such a worthless measurement. And a lot of, but I mean, for your doctor, it's a quick and dirty way to assess you. And so a lot of people are told like, you know, you're overweight, therefore it must be something you're doing. Like you're not eating right, you're not exercising enough. So as we talked about thyroid and thyroid being linked to your metabolism, that's just one example that if you don't eat enough and you over-exercise, your body will downregulate thyroid hormone in an attempt to keep you safe, but now your metabolism's gone down and you're not losing weight. And it's very much true for women that if the signal is the environment is not bountiful, is not plentiful, it is a scary place because we don't have enough food and we're over-exercising because we're like, what, running from predators all the time, your body's going to make more stress hormone. And stress hormone is going to absolutely impact your ability to lose weight, but not just lose belly fat, not just lose like fat on your hips, but in thighs, I honestly don't even care about that as yeah. much as I care about your muscle mass. And if your hormones are not optimized, we cannot build muscle mass, which is a absolutely important set of cells that are going to help not only your hormones, but longevity as well. And these stress hormones, they can interrupt your ability to build that up. And if our hormones aren't optimized, we will have a harder time getting our body composition, which is what matters most. What is your body fat? What is your muscle mass ratio? And is your belly fat around your organs? And if it's around your organs, that's where we start to see people who they, they're having insulin dysregulation issues. And they're again being told like, well, it's because you're not eating right and exercising. We absolutely like, like if this is you, 25 grams of fiber is a must every day in your diet. We've got to drop sugar. It's got to go because that's not doing your cells any favors. It's not doing your inflammation any favors. It's not doing your hormones any favors. And we do have to get you building muscle mass, but that's not the end of the story. Like those are important and there's so much more to it. I know we don't have too much time left, so I'd love to move on to 
supplementation. Obviously, we've mentioned some of the top tips for diet. And obviously, your book is just crammed full with detailed descriptions of how to improve one's diet. But from a supplement perspective, what should we be looking out for? What should we be curious about? And of course, everyone's individual, but are there some major categories that we should know about? You're right. Everyone is individual. And it's why in the book, I'm like, is this your hormone problem? These are the supplements to consider with that. I think, you know, across the board, women do well with a B complex or a multivitamin or prenatal, some way to be getting their B vitamins in that's going to help with B6 is going to help with your progesterone production. Uh, we're going to be having B5 come in that's going to support with your adrenal glands and doing what they need to be doing. There's so many things these B vitamins are doing in our body. Magnesium, especially glycinate, that form is a really important one to consider. It's, I mean, what doesn't magnesium do? It's helpful for so many things, including sleep, easier periods, less PMS. Like we love magnesium. We love such a good one. And omega-3 fatty acids are a really good one as well. I think the UK does fairly better than the United States, but I'm not bagging on the UK. Just in my time that I've spent there, I would say it's not leading the race in terms of an omega-3 rich diet, right? So most people are going to find that they have more omega-6s in their diet. And like, I'm not shaming you. I'm judging you. Like, God, like we've all got times where it's like, I need to reach for something in a package because that's the way my life is set up. But you want to have more omega-3s coming in because that's also going to help. It's going to help with your skin health. It's going to help with inflammation, your adrenal glands, your thyroid. I mean, seriously, every single hormone in your body can benefit from that one as well. And so those are some big ones to look at and then perhaps considering a probiotic. You know, for example, we make a women's probiotic that has in it specific strains that survive your stomach acid can set up shop in your gut and really regulate who's growing there. And then the lactobacilli species that we all know that women need and are so, so important. So looking at those kind of different categories is kind of those maintenance things that I think we can all benefit from. And then in the book, I guide you more specifically of like, if you have this hormone issue going on, these are some things to consider. And if you are someone who like me, always likes to start with food first. There is a table in the back of the book that's like, magnesium, what's it good for? Here's all the foods that you can find it in. Okay, amazing. Dr. Brighton, you are such a wonderful teacher. I really thank you for your time on this podcast. Where's the best place for people to find you? And of course, we'll put a link to your brilliant book, Is This Normal, in the show notes. So the best place is drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. That's my main hub. You can also find me everywhere on social media at Brighton. And the book is available in the UK. And if you pick it up, there's a URL you will find in there where you also get a free cookbook and meal plan that follows your menstrual cycle to help you optimize your hormones. It has been so wonderful talking to you. You had excellent, excellent questions that just made for such a wonderful conversation conversation. So thank you so much. And thank you to your audience for taking their time. I know it's very precious to spend it with us. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker 
a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.